when there's difficult subjects in our life, amen? That the God's word is, is always loud and clear, but many times we uh, cloud it with our opinions, with our thoughts, with our feelings, but my heart is to always uh, to be ferocious to go after the truth of God's word and allow it to minister to us this morning because his word is life. Every jot, every tittle, every line matters for how we build our lives. And so as Pastor Joyce was just praying, I feel to kind of start at the end of my message then work my way back, do a a little bit of a different flow this morning. So Sarah, we're actually going to start at at Matthew 5, 21. The commandment is the shortest commandment this morning uh, before we get into this, but then we're going to see what Jesus has to say um, about murder this morning. But the commandment found in Exodus 20, verse 13, Verse 13 says, thou shalt not murder. We know that if we uh, have looked or have memorized the commandments. Now, many times before we touch what Jesus has to say about murder is in the King James Version, it would be translated, thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not kill. New King James and other translations will translate it as thou shalt not murder. So we see there is a difference, obviously, between killing, and we see there's a difference between murder. And when you look at the Old Testament, you look at um, the Torah, the first five books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, you'll see where it talks about the difference between, it has talks in in different sections about capital capital punishment. You'll look at see where it talks about um, the taking of innocent life. You'll look and you'll see where um, it talks about situations that are just and killing, just wars, unjust wars. So the Bible is full of separating the difference between where you're in the, the okay, for example, self-defense. Someone comes in and wants to take your life unjustly, you have the right to defend yourself. And these things are in the Word of God. And so I'm not going to get into capital punishment and really into that because this is a subject that could be sent into its own series itself. But I have 35, 40 minutes with you this morning. But there's some things that God has really been burdening on my heart. But I want to just give context of that, that God's word is full of truth in regards to the subject of killing and to the re- in regards to the subject of murder, what constitutes it, what doesn't. And so my prayer is, is that through this week, through your study, that you would get into God's word and you would begin to investigate. You would begin to study and get what it has to say and that you would build your life on it. I love, again, that the series is called The Ten Gifts, that this is a gift given to us by God, that murder in a society uh, would cause it to collapse, right? If we were to take away all law enforcement, if we were to take away all laws in our country, then we would have a society full of anarchy where everyone does their own truth or everyone bases themselves off how they feel in a situation or they uh, judge that that person's life can be taken because I feel that that person's life can be taken. So all of us sitting here, we understand that uh, there's a need for this commandment in our society and in our world. But what we're about to see is Jesus is gonna take what was said in the Old Testament that thou shalt not murder And then as we've been talking, Jesus then says, I'm now going to show you the spirit behind the law and what this looks like played out in your life. And what Jesus is going to talk about is that 
There is physical murder, but there is also spiritual murder. And I want to say it this way. There is murdering of the mouth, that we can murder people with our mouths. We can murder people's reputations. Uh, We can murder people's integrity. We can murder people's character. So Jesus has a lot to say about this in the New Testament. Paul, Peter, has a lot to say about murdering of the mouth. So I want to talk about spiritual murder. And then I want to go into a, a heavy subject after that as well. I also want to give the context this morning that sharing with you on a subject like this, I'm your pastor. I'm not your professor. I'm not with you for eight weeks in a lecture and then I send you off, right? I'm your pastor and I love you. And the things we're going to talk about this morning, God willing, I will be able to be your pastor for 30, maybe 40 years. And understanding my role as your shepherd is when we're going to get into some of these subjects, when people fall into sin and people come and confess sin, my goal, my heart, my role is to love you through it, not to judge you, not to shun you, not to push you away, but to put my arm around you and say, let's, let's figure this thing out. Let's get in God's word. Let's love you. Let's care for you. And let's walk you into truth and walk you into healing. And so I'm very aware when we're going to get into the subject of abortion is that this is not a neutral issue. It's been something that has originated in God's word in our culture and in our society, especially in 2019, has been taken and made, made very polarized and has put people on two different ends. If you turn on the news, all you hear is the clamoring, the shouting, and the fighting without any solution. But I believe the church should be the one to model what life looks like and what having conversation around these issues look like that we're the ones to show love and we're the ones to show understanding and have conversation around it, that we don't shout, scream, yell, and hate each other, but we talk and we communicate these things. And so I want to take your attention to Matthew 5, 21. I have two different translations, and Sarah, if you would start us off in the New King James, but it's captioned where Jesus is talking of how murder first begins in your heart. Murder begins in your heart. Here's what Jesus says in verse 21. He says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, Whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. So this is Jesus talking. And when you hear this, you're like, wow, okay, this is some truth that Jesus is presenting to us on the level of having hatred in your heart, of having offense, of having bitterness, that it's, he's equaling it to the cause of murder and that there is judgment in play with this. So I want to bring it to maybe a little more where we can understand you do our other translation, here's what it says. Jesus says, you're familiar with the command to the ancients, do not murder. I'm telling you that anyone who is such, so much as angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. Countlessly calling a brother an idiot, and you just might find yourself hauled into court. Thoughtlessly yell stupid at a sister, and you are on the brink of hellfire. The simple moral fact is this, words kill. Yeah. 
that there's life and death, we hear, and the power of the tongue, right? And words have power to give life, and words have power to call death. And so I pray this morning, and we're, I just want to touch on this, and we're going to get into this because there's a whole commandment that goes into slander. And we're going to dive deep into that when we get on that commandment in a few weeks. But I pray just this morning that as you look over your life, any areas of your life that are unrepentive, of maybe where you've murdered somebody with your mouth, maybe you've um, manipulated a situation with your mouth, maybe you've manipulated somebody's character or their integrity. And again, we see that Jesus takes it as far in other points of scripture where not even letting idle words come out of our mouth. And we live in a culture that's just so quick to word vomit and so quick to spew and just has to get what we feel all the time out. But the gospels and what Jesus has to say is usually completely different with what, what we want to let loose out of our mouth and what we want to let loose with our thumbs. And so again, I pray that a message like this does not offend you, but that we would be convicted as a church and we would self-examine. And as we've said two weeks ago now, we would judge our heart, we would judge our words, and we would judge our mouth. And this is a part of judging our mouth. Are we murdering people with our mouths? A commentary says this. It says, every seduction of one's neighbor to sin, every influence that damages his faith, Every suggestion that separates a man from God means the killing of a neighbor's soul. Concerning such spiritual murder, the Savior said, But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me? It would be better for him to throw a millstone and would be hanged around his neck and that he were to be drowned in the depths of the sea. So again, we see again that words have the power to kill. It says the harboring of ill feelings for one's neighbor can be called murder. Even though never expressed in overt action, the Apostle John writes, whoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So you see the depth of really what the word of God teaches of harboring bitterness, of harboring hate, and of harboring offense. I love this line here. Unforgiveness causes the love of God in our hearts to grow cold. That's the beginning of the love of God growing cold in your heart is unforgiveness. I wrote this down as Bree and I were just discussing this and the reality of it is this. You will be mistreated. You will be wronged. You will be misunderstood. You will be spoken of poorly. It's not a matter of this will happen at some point in your life. You will experience all kinds of injustices. But I love this right here. We said, I, I said, forgive anyway. Forgive anyway. Yes. Don't give place in your heart to any bitterness. Right. Rather, let God's love be shed abroad in your heart. That's what scripture says. And give it away as you have received it. Not because it's deserved, but precisely when it is deserved least. For that is how God pours his love on us. Right. Right. As I was thinking about this, I think one of the easiest things that we're all convicted of is falling into gossip. And gossip is toxic in any family, in any church, in any work environment. Gossip is toxic. Gossip is simply this. Gossip is when a negative is discussed with anyone who can't solve the problem. Gossip is, a, is when a negative is discussed with anyone who can't solve the problem. 
when we have problems, our flesh wants to tend to gossip, to go, uh, to go this way and not to take the issue up into leadership or into someone who can handle the problem and bring solution to it. Look at what scripture says. Proverbs 21, 23 says, whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. I think this is a proverb we need to have to memory on our heart. Whoever guards his mouth and tongue says you're going to keep your soul from troubles. Can we all just say this together? Whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. As we're keeping our soul from troubles and practicing this, one of my favorite scriptures that I remembered as a kid and Pastor Joyce would teach us this in a song about being kind one to another. Look what Ephesians 4.30 says. It says, don't grieve God. In the message translation, you're gonna see the new King James behind you. It says, don't grieve God. It says, don't break his heart. His Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you. So if you wanna stop a flow of God in your life, it matters what comes out of your mouth. It says, it is the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for himself. It says, don't take such a, get, uh, such a gift for granted. Verse 31 says, make a clean break with all cutting, backbiting, and profane talk. It says, be gentle with one another. It says, be sensitive, forgiving one another as quickly. I love this here. Forgive one another as quickly and as thoroughly as God in Christ has forgave you. You'll see here it says, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. When you understand how forgiven you are, you'll begin to see, you'll begin to walk, and you'll begin to love on a whole new dimension that you never knew was possible. I'm telling you, I've experienced this freedom in my life. When you choose to quickly and thoroughly forgive as God in Christ has forgiven you, there is freedom and power. The power of God can touch you and flow through you like you've never experienced before. Because the thing is, life is cold, life is hard, life has its issues, life uh, brings uh, situations that want to harden you and make you cold and make you unloving. But the antidote for that is forgiveness and not harboring these things. I love what David said, and I didn't really catch this in his prayer of repentance. Psalms 51.7 says this. It says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. It says, wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. So he's saying, purge me, cleanse me, wash me. But here's what it says in Psalms 51.11. So you go down a couple verses. I might not be back there. I might have put this in last minute. But then I love what it says. It says, then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. So David is saying through his adultery and through his murder that he is repenting of here, he's saying not only am I asking you to purge me, but then put a testimony and a message in me so then I can go and teach other transgressors of you can be saved. This is my story. This is what's happened with me. And this is how God has saved me and rescued me. And he can do the same for you as well. And so David models that for us this morning. And so I wanted to hit on the aspect of spiritual murder, of murdering with our mouth. And we're gonna get into that when the commandment gets even deeper 
and it begins to get sharper when it begins to discuss slander. But this morning, I want to share a quick video with you that will open up this time of discussion of understanding the issue of abortion, understanding what God's word says. I'm not coming with you with any type of agenda except for the fact of to show you what God's word says and that we would rally behind what God's word has to say. Uh, But this morning, in our partnership with CareNet Pregnancy Services, who cares for women if they're struggling with the decision to make the process and who also, also cares for the mothers, the fathers, the families, the grandparents, even if they chose to make that decision, they come around them, love them, care for them, and help them heal as well. But this is just a video of some statistics of, that really just brought me to tears and brought me to a place of seeing that this issue isn't outside the church, but is very much inside the church. You're going to see a t- statistic that 36% of abortions that take place in our country are those of women that are sitting in church pews or sitting in churches every Sunday. And uh, you're going to see that um, the conversation around it and women that have experienced judgment or have experienced hurt because of the decision they made from people, pastors, leaders they thought they could trust were the very ones that judged them. So what I want to say before we show this video is I pray the culture of this church would always be one of love, would always be one of if someone has done this, that uh, you'll hear statistics, not in this video, but in things that I've studied, is that, again, most of the time when that happens, that woman or that mother isn't loved, but they're judged and they're gossiped about for the decision that they made. And so as a church, and especially with our vision to bring healing to brokenness, when someone's in sin, when someone's fallen short, when someone's missed the mark, Our job as a church is not to run and to judge. Our job is to surround them, to love them, to care for them. And if we can model that and show the world what it looks like to care and to love and and of, of people in their deepest places of brokenness, then that's where the gospel can be seen so bright and so loud if we can begin to model that. But I want you to watch this and just to put some things in perspective and I want to take a moment and discuss.
So a couple of statistics there that you saw. And there at the end of the service, we're actually going to have a couple call to actions where we can get involved and take a step further in sharing the love of God with those that are in need. But as I was studying this and some other statistics I found, especially among my generation, so anyone under the age of 30, a startling statistic says this, that adults under the age of 30, 63% say it should be legal in all cases. We see that in the beginning of this year that uh, some New York, the New York governor and lawmakers passed a law saying that abortion is legal under all the way up to a, a late term, term abortion. So seconds before the baby is born, the baby can be aborted. And we see other states catching um, the wind of that and wanting to put similar laws in place as well. And so again, I want to talk from the place of this being a biblical issue, not a political issue. Now, our job is believers, what we can do, because we live in a democratic society, is we have the privilege to go and vote for leaders that are pro-life and who care for life. But another startling statistic says this, of those under the age of 30, 44% say abortion goes against their beliefs. Um, So we see it on the other end there. And then as we saw there, since Roe v. Wade 1973, when abortion became legalized in our country, 60.1 million abortions have happened since then. So when you think about 60.1 million, what I see in my mind is an entire generation, really, an entire generation has been wiped out because of abortion. And again, these are just legal abortions. There are many unlegal um, abortions that have taken place as well. I understand this morning that I am a male sharing on this subject, and we see many of the conversation that goes around of women's health and women's choice and all of those conversations with that. But again, I'm coming from a place of wanting to share God's word for you, share God's word with you, and that you would be well informed and that you would put the time and the study into understanding what God's word says, because this is a very, a a huge issue that many churches will not talk about, many pastors will not share about. They don't want to cause uh, offense or they don't want to run people out because of disagreements, because this subject brings up a lot of um, different opinions and different thoughts. And as I said, this is not a neutral issue. So I pray that you respect the fact that we're a church that's willing to talk about this and to share love and light and hope in a situation like this. As we just watched in the video, many times around when an abortion takes place, there's a lot of shaming and there's a lot of guilt that leaders, Christians will place upon women that have done that. And if 36% of those women are sitting in churches, how much more do we need to be ones to show life and love and light to those women to draw them into healing? You'll even see statistics will tell us that there is now a, um, a symptom called post-abortive stress syndrome that causes great anxiety, great stress, and great depression of women that have had abortions. 
And so we see on the other side of it when the question is, is abortion the healthiest option for a woman? The answer based off statistics, science, is no. That what it causes even to a woman who chooses to abort a baby, what happens mentally, what happens in their psyche, what happens, uh, I was watching a testimony, it was that is as though there was a hole carved in the pit of this woman's stomach that she felt could never be filled. However, she coped and medicated herself. That feeling of just emptiness could never leave her until she met Jesus, though. And so I want to look this morning of what does God's word have to say about this issue and understanding that abortion is murder and that life, that we need to choose life this morning and what God's word has to say that a child is life in the, in the womb of a mother. Genesis 9, 6 says this, of how man is created in the image of God. Humans are created in the image of God. It says this, says, whoever sheds the blood of man by men shall his blood be shed. And it says, for God made man in his own image. So we understand that every embryo, every fetus is in the, is in the image of God. And we don't want to take, when we take life, we take the image of God. We also see what scripture begins to say, that all of this is an issue derived from our enemy, from our spiritual enemy, Satan. Look what John 8, says. It says that Satan is a murderer. It says, you're like your father. Your father is the devil, and he's been a murderer since the beginning of time. So we see that the spirit of who the enemy is is a murderer. And he wants uh, to get this issue and make it demonic and, and infiltrate our culture and our society with murder. We see that, I read a statistic that said um, a child between the time they're in the home and when they leave the home. So when they're 18, by the time they're 18 years old, they will see over 80,000 images and videos and sound of murder. 80,000 images, sound, video that represents murder. And so we live in a culture and a society that where we can become so desensitized to it that we don't even realize what's happening or what we're watching or what's taking place or what it's doing in us to desensitize us from what murder is. And so we see that this issue is a demonic issue. And the enemy wants to unleash a spirit of murder into our world, into our churches, into our culture, and make it normal. You go and you even see when the spirit, this demonic spirit was released in the 20th century, over 175 million lives were taken from four men, Hitler, Lenin, Mao, and Stalin. These were... uh, communistic countries where the state had the ultimate say, and under their leadership, over 175 million lives were taken. So what I want you to see out of that is that murder is a demonic issue that the enemy wants to unleash in our lives and in our world. Several points I want to share with you this morning, and I'm going to go through these quickly, but again, this is a sermon. This is uh, to, I pray, gets you motivated to dive in, to dig in into what God's word has to say about this issue of abortion and murder. Here's where we see 
Seven reasons why life begins at conception is what I want to share with you these next points. Seven reasons why life begins at conception. Number one is this. We see in God's word is that only a human being is called a sinner. We don't see animals. We don't see materials called sinners. We see only human beings are called sinners. Psalms 51.5 says of this, it says that we were sinful from our mother's womb. So we see that a baby in the womb is not just a person. We see that they're a sinner, that they're, they need grace. They need Jesus. They need to be rescued and saved and set free. Number two is this, is they were called from their mother's womb. I, I find this powerful and amazing. When you read the life of Isaiah and Jeremiah, who were two great Old Testament prophets, their stories tell us that they were called for their prophetic ministry from the womb of their mother. How cool is that? We also see that they were set apart for it from their mother's womb as well. Number three is this. We see that he was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. So look at all this ministry taking place in the womb of this mother, in the womb of mothers. Luke 1.15, speaking of John the Baptist, speaks to this. It says, For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he shall neither drink wine nor strong drink, talking of John the Baptist. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Powerful. Number four is this. We see that God knitted us together, all of us, in our mother's womb. So something supernatural takes place as we're being knitted together in the womb of our mother. Psalms 139 speaks to this. It says, for you were formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. It says, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. It says, wonderful are your works. My soul, I know it well. So we see that the Bible teaches God is involved in the womb of the mother, knitting the child together. Number five is this, is the Bible calls them children. So we'll see in different places in the Greek, it uses children is broken down to the word um, brephos is what it would be called. And in Luke 18, when Jesus calls the children to him, the same context of children being used there is also the same context of what we just read and the, the passage of scripture that refer to children in the womb of the mother. So the same, uh, Jesus is referring to a child in the womb just as much as a child outside of the womb where we see this take place. Number six is this, is God. This is, this is amazing. God became a baby in a mother's womb. That God himself, who could not be contained, contained himself in the womb of his mother Mary. So we see that God became a baby in a mother's womb. What I find amazing, too, about even the situation of when Jesus was born is that Mary was young, she was single, she was poor, she didn't have resources, she didn't have really anything to sustain her until God brought Joseph in her life. And so even seeing the situation of what Mary would be giving birth to a baby in was just so telling of how God wanted to identify so much with us in our pain and in our struggle and our loneliness and our questioning as Mary was as well. I love this quote here. 
And this is from the um, Alveda C. King, the niece of Martin Luther King Jr. And Sarah, you should have that in the back. I want you to see what she has to say about this issue. She says this, she says, how can the dream survive if we murder the children? Every aborted baby is like a slave in the womb of his or her mother. The mother decides his or her fate. So some powerful words uh, from a statement that she released years ago in regards to this subject of abortion. You know, God never intended for the mother to be the one to have to choose what is life and what is death. That is God's decision. And the mother should never have to be the one to choose that when that is the decision that is far above any decision you and I make. Number seven is this, is God is a father. I love because Jesus introduces God where we can call him father. And what does a good father do? He cares, he loves, he brings in, he nurtures, and he provides. So God calls himself as a father. And there's a difference between the father who protects and cares and the spirit of a murderer who divides and wants to kill. And so just those were quick seven points that I pray would just lead you into further study of getting God's heart for life on this issue. I want to share a powerful testimony with you and end with this. And then I just want to spend some time. I want Bree and Corey just to minister to us. And I just want us to spend some time and to pray. I know this is a heavy subject. I know this is a heavy issue. Our culture, our world talks about it, shares about it, questions about it. But I want us to get God's heart on this. But the testimony you're about to see, um, I came across it and it's gone viral on social platforms. You might have already seen it, but it's just a few minutes where it's, he shares where he survived an abortion and then what God began to do in his life. So Sarah, if you would show this video for us. Said you can't make any money having a baby in the oven. We have got to kill this baby. They kicked her in the stomach. They fed her alcohol. They gave her drugs. They took a hanger and stabbed the baby over and over again. But the baby would not die. The baby was born two months premature with no pancreas, a learning disability, a bladder too small, unable to function, a severe stutterer. We call it a trick baby. Nobody wants the baby. No hope, no future. Kill it was the word. That baby was me. I'm the lowest of the low. I come from the guttermost. I come from a hellish condition. And so when I would go to school, I couldn't talk. I stuttered so severely from the trauma. My mother had a madam who hated men. Her name was Dolores, and she was a sadist. And when she would watch me, she would take a broomstick and stick it in a place where no boy should have any object in his body. And when you are tortured like that, you learn four things. Don't talk. Don't trust. Don't feel and pretend nothing is happening. And by age 10, I had had enough. I wanted to die. 
And in my school, they put me in a boiler room with other kids who were dysfunctional like me, where we would finger paint all day long. And yet there was a teacher, thank God for her, who had a Gideon Bible. And she came to my school and she saw kids like me as her mission field. And she would give me this Gideon Bible and read to me stories of dysfunctional characters who God used. She would say to me, Ronaldo, God uses greatly those who have been wounded very deeply. He will turn your pain into power, your wounds into wisdom. She had me read the story of Moses, who was also a stutterer. I began to understand that God did love a trick baby, even as low as I was. There was hope for me and possibility. And when a child begins to understand the love of God and the power of his word and the possibilities, it changes everything. How can a young man keep his way clean by taking heed according to your word? Your word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against thee. I began to memorize the Bible, that Gideon Bible, reading 2,000 scriptures. And when you put that kind of word in a life, something begins to happen. My stuttering went away. I stopped wetting the bed. I stood tall. I became valedictorian, became a pastor, and preached until everybody in my family got saved. Why? Because somebody placed the Gideon Bible in a woman's hand that changed a life forever. Yes! I was born a trick baby, but the trick was on the devil. Amen. Amen. Isn't that awesome? The trick was on the devil. And that's what I pray through this message and through this series that anywhere we've been deceived, anywhere where we've been lied to, by whether it be a politician, an influencer, a voice, um, uh, maybe how God's word has been twisted to us in this situation, that again, you would see what God's words has to say about life and what can begin to change. And again, here in a minute, I want to share some call to actions for us. And I want uh, Cole to come and share about uh, the heartbeat bill as well that was just passed in the state of Kentucky but what I want you to hear, and this is where the gospel comes into place, that as we look at the cross this morning, you have to understand that Jesus was murdered as well, that Jesus gave his life for you and I, and not just uh, in a way where he was uh, killed, but he was murdered. And as he was on the cross, one of the most powerful statements that speak to spiritual murder and that speak to physical murder was this. What did he tell those that were murdering him? He was looking at the Roman officials, the Roman officers, one of the seven words of Christ. He said, forgive them for they know not what they do. And so in his finest hour, as he's being crucified, as he's on the cross, as he's looking at those that are murdering him, he looks with them with the eyes of grace and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, again, I don't know everybody's story here. I don't know the decisions privately, publicly that you've made in regards to this. But whatever decisions you have made, Christ was murdered for you and I. That he showed his love for us in a way 
that is unspeakable and that he didn't just stay murdered, but what happened uh, three days later, he resurrected. And as we step into Easter, we celebrate that he resurrected and he can do the same for you and I this morning, just like the testimony that we watched that a resurrection took place in his life because the power of God began to move and to do and to touch him. And so I want you guys to play for us. And I just want to take a moment and allow just the weight of this message just to kind of sink in. And I want us just to go before God in forgiveness and ask him any place where we've spiritually murdered somebody or maybe that we've fallen short or maybe the decisions around abortion, maybe what we believe about it, Maybe we can just ask, begin to ask God and say, Holy Spirit, don't allow me to get offended. Allow me to be convicted by what your word says. Jesus, right now, we bow our heads and we close our eyes. And we just take this moment and we make it personal. God, I thank you that there is so much grace. There is so much love in this church. Father, that we love those who have fallen short. And we thank you, ultimately, you love us because we fall short. We miss the mark. Sin is missing the mark. Sin leaves wounds in our lives. Father, we thank you that you love us so deeply and that your love was displayed so powerfully on the cross for you and I. God, we just take a moment we reflect on our lives, any places where we're harboring bitterness, unforgiveness, offense. God, it says that if we hate a brother, we're a murderer. God, we don't want any hate in our heart or in our lives. God, come and cleanse us by the power of the Holy Spirit this morning. God, we take this moment just to reflect and to honor you. In Jesus' name.